0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: And as the title suggests on this episode, uh, we're talking about two types of uh, vortices. We're talking about the fire tornado, Mm -hmm. this giant pillar of flame stretching from, uh, from earth to heaven. Uh, burning up everything in its path, pitching flaming uh, debris out uh, in, in front of it, and then we also have the the sharknado, a a tornado, a, a more or less traditional tornado, but instead of having a bunch of uh, you know bits of uh, houses and broken trees and garbage and dirt uh, caught up in it, it has uh, great white sharks. Throwing them all over the place. Uh, You know, you're trying to just go about your daily life, and then bam, white shark hits you, starts eating your leg. Then a hammerhead shark falls on you and crushes you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting. We are bringing you both, uh, or all of Earth, Wind, Fire, Rain, and Sharks. Yeah,
1: spoiler one of these is a little more sciencey than the other. We'll (laughs) let you guess which one. But by the end of it, we will will put the question to you, because right now you don't have enough information to really say what would win in a fight, Sharknado or. or um, or fire tornado, Mm -hmm. but by the end of this podcast, you will know, and you'll have an informed opinion that you can share with your friends. All right, let's get to it. Let's start off with the idea of a fire tornado. Now, just the idea again of a pillar or a column of fire uh, swirling up into the sky mm-hmm. is a pretty old image. I mean, for starters, as we'll discuss, it is a natural phenomenon. So, in all likelihood, people have been seeing this sort of thing occur, or and then hearing about it since time out of mind. But it's also factored into this symbol of it has factored into um, into our our religious views and our mm-hmm. spiritual views of the world. Uh, for instance, if you go uh, digging around. Uh, in uh, the Old Testament, uh, you will find uh, accounts of uh, of Yahweh taking on the form of a, a pillar of fire. Uh, Exodus thirteen twenty one. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night.
0: I mean, this is really impressive. Like right? this, is an impressive talisman to have at your disposal.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is yeah, this is the uh, you know the, the old school. Uh, yeah. God here. This is the the, the pretty uh, terrifying one that it does things like appear as a pillar of fire. Mm-hmm. And then there's another uh, really cool account of a, of a deity as a pillar of fire that you'll find in Hinduism. And uh, according to, to one Hindu narrative, and you'll, you'll see this reflected in sculpture and, and painting as well, uh, Brahma and Vishnu are arguing over who's the most powerful of the gods, and uh, now, Brahma and Vishnu—they're a part of this—a uh, form of kind of they form a kind of trinity with Shiva. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stand for world creation in the form of Brahma, world maintenance in the form of Vishnu, and then uh, world destruction in the form of Shiva. So, Brahma and Vishnu—they're standing around. Who's the most powerful of the gods? I don't know. It's—it's it's an argument. But then this huge column of fire appears right between them, burning straight down into the earth and searing up through the clouds high above. So they decide to investigate. Right. They're curious. So Vishnu, in his boar incarnation, digs down into the earth in an attempt to find the column's base. Meanwhile, Brahma flies into the sky on his vehicle, the Hamsa bird, to seek the column's top. Show off. Yeah. Well, the other one turned into a boar. Yeah, that's pretty cool, yeah. too. So, they, yeah, they both take on their, their godly powers uh, and they seek the, the end or beginning to this column of fire. Mm-hmm. Neither can find anything so they fly back down to where they started and uh, they say, I don't know, I can't figure this out. And then the, the column of fire opens up and Shiva uh, <laughs> steps forth. And then they both have to agree, yeah, Shiva is probably the most powerful of the three of us.
0: That's right, because Shiva is, is the great destroyer particularly of the ego. Yes. So it would make sense that Shiva would roll it out like that.
1: So there you go. There's a little uh, religious, mythical, spiritual fluff to sort of flavor uh, this uh, idea of the fire tornado, which does exist in real life. Now, to talk about what a fire tornado is, we need to also discuss what tornadoes are and uh, and what a tornado isn't.
0: Also, want to mention before we go into fire tornadoes that this was something that was a standout at, of course, the Burning Man festival. Yes, which is put on in the de- in the desert in California. If you um, do a
1: search for 2012 fire tornadoes Burning Man.
0: Mesmerizing videos of these smoke devils just marching out one by one in front of the audience.
1: Yeah, with some, fl- it was hard to tell from those videos to what extent they have fire in them mm-hmm. because they're clearly the gleam of the f- of the fly- of the fire of the huge blaze is uh, is illuminating them as they roll outward. I think there's. I some think fire. they're
0: mostly smoke, mostly actually. Smoke, though, yeah. yeah, but they are impressive nonetheless.
1: So these are also known as fire whirls or even fire devils. Uh, Again, they're swirling columns of fire, and they surge forward to consume new fuel, sometimes heaving flaming logs uh, through the air. Uh, that's been reported. Now, to a layperson, any funnel-shaped column of air is a tornado, right? It's a twister or whatever. But uh, meteorologists tend to be a little more discriminating about this kind of thing, and they classify twisters into two broad categories. They're supercell and they're non-supercell. Mm-hmm. And this all based on how they form and how much damage they, they inflict. Uh, for a storm to be called a supercell tornado, it must have ha- it must have three characteristics, okay? It must uh, form within a massive thunderstorm and be pendant or suspended from that storm, okay? And number two, it must come in contact with the surface of the earth. And number three, it must have winds in excess of 65 miles per hour or 105 kilometers per hour. Uh, any other tornado that uh, fails to meet these standards would fall into the non-supercell category, and that includes, for instance, water spouts. Uh, water spouts, uh, they look like uh, they might just be like a tornado in the ocean, but they're not. They form in different ways, uh, arising from uh, cumulus clouds that haven't become thunderstorms, They may never become thunderstorms, and then they're sucking up water and, you know, marching across the ocean looking like uh, some sort of giant titanic water creature. Uh, then you have land spouts, you have gustnados, and uh, finally, weather scientists recognize a third class of tornado-like storms known as whirlwinds. Okay, now this is key. Um, these uh, common types of atmospheric systems occur when the sun heats dry terrain and causes a column of warm air to rise rapidly. As it does, the column of air will whirl, rotate around a vertical axis, much like uh, water draining down mm-hmm. in a bathtub. You know, uh, it becomes visible when they pick up debris from the ground and are often named to reflect the nature of the debris. So you have this little little vortex is mm-hmm. picking up some dust. Ah, it's a dust devil. It's picking up sand. You call it a sand whirl. Picking up snow, snow whirls. If it were to pick up sharks. It you would be more, uh, you know, accurate in calling it a shark a shark whirl, I guess. Uh, but then there also you even have hay whirls where it's picking up hay. So again, mm-hmm. the wind doesn't look like anything, but when it picks up these things, then it takes that's the the, the thing that we associate with it.
0: So fire tornadoes ha- they are not operating exactly alike tornadoes, they're probably closer to whirls, but even then they're not specifically like you can't say, hey, that's that's actually like a whirlwind. Right. Um, but they do have, again, some of the same things that play like vortices, uh, intense updrafts. Uh, they've got the rotation. And, of course, the conditions have to be met in order for yes. a fire tornado to be created. Yeah, the, um, the big
1: thing about fire tornadoes is to remember that you gotta, you got to have a fire. And when you have a fire going, and it could be... A house fire. Mm-hmm. It could be a burning city. It could be a forest fire. But when you have a blaze of this magnitude, you essentially have a microclimate. You have a, a different set of air temperature, air pressure um, going on. And as we've discussed before, I mean, those are the that's that's how wind moves. That's how most of our weather uh, patterns that we observe. Uh, it boils down to temperature differentials, pressure differentials.
0: Yeah, Noah describes them as forming when superheated air near the surface of a large fire zone like a wildfire. By the way, I just heard on NPR today there are 50 wildfires going on in the U.S. right now. Wow. Um, And anyway, so if you have one of these conditions, it's very rare, but this can occur. You've got that surface of large fire zone and it rises rapidly in an air mass where sufficient horizontal or vertical vorticity that's the spin in the atmosphere is also present. So like a dust devil or whirlwind, the rapidly rising air above a wildfire can accelerate and turn the local vorticity into a tight vertical vortex made out of fire instead of dust. And dust devils will peter out pretty quickly, but the sustained heat of a wildfire zone can help maintain a fairly long-lived fire whirl, and that can last for several minutes or more.
1: Yeah, it you know, just appear to dance around through the fire, and in some cases can spit out from the fire and uh, and spread the wildfire in, into an area that it you know may have been already moving towards anyway. So you have a specific example to share with us. We're talking in generalities here, but uh, you have a specific story of a fire tornado.
0: Yeah, this is uh, basically like an anatomy of a whirl from a weather perspective, and this is according to a Langdon, North Dakota meteorological team reporting on a fire tornado that reached the base of developing cumuliform clouds, and it stretched 3,900 feet that's about 1,200 meters into the air, and it lasted for about 10 minutes. It was wow. pretty impressive. So um, what the Langdon, North Dakota meteorologist said is that the fire zone heating produced the rapidly rising air. And then you had the lower-level winds that had enough environmental shear to induce a vertical vorticity near the surface and get the fire world going and then sustain it. And then two other factors were at play. Um, They had a a low-level moisture that was sufficient to rise, cool, condense, and form the pyrocumulus cloud deck that it was built upon. And then the other factor was the lifted condensation level was close enough to the level of free convection so that the developing pyrocumulus quickly became a tower cumulus. And that may have increased the overall updraft speed and vertical vorticity to such an extent that the near-surface fire whirl stretched into then Dremel a fire tornado. So it got upgraded in this sense.
1: Alright, well we're going to take a quick break. When we come back we're going to discuss fire tornadoes a little more, then we're going to move on to sharknadoes and then we are going to uh, attempt to call it sharknado versus fire tornado. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We're discussing fire tornadoes. Um, there are a few other examples we have about real-life fire tornadoes, when they form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of these examples are drawing from much more tragic uh, circumstances. Um, the, uh, For instance, the great uh, Peshtigo Fire, 1871, in Peshtigo, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, and uh, apparently, also in sections of uh, Michigan, and uh, this is a blaze that consumed a uh, booming milltown on the same day as the Chicago fire, and as a result of the same conditions, you had a, a dry summer slash and bird farming practice and a powerful cold front that swooped in from the western US, bringing strong winds that turned uh, uh, just a few small prairie fires into a raging inferno. So this town, which contained also contained hundreds of wooden structures and lumberyards, overflowing with all of this, uh, you know, delicious fodder for a blaze, uh, right in the in uh, in the middle of, of everything. So when the fire reached the town, it found a ready supply of fuel, and in a matter of minutes, a massive fire tornado swirled around the town, generating 100 mile per hour, 161 kilometer winds, and ambient temperatures topping out at 700 degrees Fahrenheit or 371 degrees Celsius. So. Sadly, the people who didn't make it into the river died in the flames, and it still ranks as one of the worst U.S. fire disasters. Final death toll uh, of about 2,000. Uh,
0: here's another one. In 1923, the great Kanto earthquake in Japan ignited a firestorm that raged through the city and produced a gigantic fire tornado that killed 38,000 people in 15 minutes. And uh, this was in the Hifakushu-Ato region of Tokyo.
1: And then uh, you have the San Luis Obispo Fire, uh, April seventh, 1926. Uh, it's during a moderate th- uh, thunderstorm over the area uh, there in California. Lightning struck oil reserves at a Union Oil Company tank farm located uh, just... Uh, uh, about two and a half miles south of the city center and uh, the discharge ignited the oil itself or vapors above the oil leading to a five day fire they consumed uh, roughly six million barrels of, of petroleum and over the course of the disaster eyewitnesses observed uh, apparently hundreds of fire tornadoes uh, erupting as a result of the blaze so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it uh, is amazing stuff to see. And there's tons of videos also, um, not just of it naturally occurring, but of people trying to create their own uh, fire tornadoes and tame them. Some of them are <laughs> professionals. Yes. some um, of them
1: are, uh, are merely enthusiasts. Right, yeah. right.
0: Uh, but it gives you a really good idea of all the different things that are at play here in directing the wind and the rotation.
1: Yeah, because uh, as we discussed before, wildfires, in and of themselves are natural occurrences, uh, the environments where they frequently occur. You, know, you often have uh, have organisms that depend on that cycle of fire and regrowth uh, in, in order to uh, continue. And uh, and then you have these artificial environments that we create. And then when they catch fire, you end up with artificial uh, blazes.
0: That's true. Uh, and those are all amazing sights, but, but nothing is more amazing than seeing, A, Tara reed rise from the ashes... <laughs> of her own career and star in Sharknado, but also to see sharks just coming at you from from a storm in the sky.
1: Yeah, now this is this has kind of been the summer of Sharknado. It's really been uh, something that everyone has rallied around. It's, the, of course, this, the sci-fi channel original picture that came out uh, that had a, a pretty strong viral marketing uh, campaign behind it and is just goofy enough to... Enrapture everyone on some level or another. The, the, basically, the, the whole the whole idea here is that a uh, tornado spins off from the ocean, picks up all of these uh, these uh, these sharks, mm-hmm. all of them like massive sharks, and uh, it comes in and is just throwing them everywhere. So it's dropping sharks into pools, into flooded houses, into the street, onto people, and uh, hilarious. Uh, ridiculousness ensues.
0: And you actually sent me a two-minute clip that sort of encapsulates the whole movie.
1: Yeah, it just boils it down to dumb lines and uh, and kills.
0: And it was kind of wonderful and awful. And my favorite part, and I'm sure for people who have seen it or have seen the clip, is the guy, Ian, someone from 90210, I don't know, some show. He, like, I'm pretending like he's, I don't know what show that he's is. He's in
1: Sharknado, you don't have to know his
0: Okay, name. yeah, he falls from... A rescue helicopter. Oh yes. Yes, and and then of course into the jaws of a great white. And did I mention that as he's falling, he actually has a chainsaw with him. <laughs> so as he's gulped up by the great white, uh, they both fall to the ground, and and he emerges, of course, from from the great white, cutting himself out of it. And it's it's a fabulous, disgusting, ridiculous scene.
1: And I'm sure when everyone sees these trailers, or God help them, watches the whole movie, they ask themselves could this actually happen? <laughs> could a shark NATO actually hit my tent and hound my city and drop sharks on me?
0: Well, we know there have been fish events. Yes.
1: That's the thing. Yeah. and uh, Plenty of accounts of of, uh, of weather patterns picking up yeah. strange things, often living things, and dropping them. Suddenly it'll rain fish somewhere.
0: Yeah, water spouts, as you had mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, one of the types of twisters and tornadoes that occur out in the ocean. Uh, one in 2010 sucked up hundreds of fish into the vortex before they bombarded the small town of La Jamanu. Hopefully I've said that correctly. I'm sure our Australian listeners will let me know. Um, But that was hundreds of miles from the coast. And then, this is one of my favorite ones, a downpour of golf balls, not golf-sized hail, um, but we're talking about actual golf balls descended upon Punta Gorda, Florida, after a tornado struck a golf course. (laughs) It's like golf ball NATO.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That that sounds pretty terrifying. I mean, that could... That could hurt.
0: Doesn't it? Um, but just I wanted to, to uh, cover water spouts really quickly because, again, as we said, these are essentially tornadoes over water. And there are two types. There's a fair weather and a tornadic one. And the tornadic water spouts begin as tornadoes over land, and then they move over water. Right. And they also form in severe thunderstorms over a body of water, and they can wreak really a ton of havoc. Uh, We're talking about high winds, hail, and dangerous lightning. Now, fair-weather waterspouts develop in calmer weather, and they form over open water, and they develop the surface, and then they climb skyward toward the clouds. So, as we've seen, again, these these are natural occurring events that can dump um, golf balls or uh, sea creatures onto the land.
1: Yeah, but the sea creatures that they dump, we're generally talking stuff like uh, like a largemouth bath, uh, nine and a fourth inches long. That's a, yeah. according to Dr. Jeff Masters over at uh, Weather Underground. That's one of the, the heaviest. Uh, like, for instance, a six-pound fish fell in India. That's the kind of the level of fish we're talking about. Not a 2,000-pound great white shark, much less hundreds of them.
0: That's right. And Bill Patzert, a uh, climatologist with the Jet Propulsion Lab, he was given the what-if question. Like, what if it could happen? What would it take? And he said it would take a massive water spout to deliver these Great Whites, like an EF-5 spinning at speeds of more than 250 miles per hour to generate the updraft needed to suck these Great Whites out of the Pacific, the Pacific and then dump them onto L.A. Huh. And that, he said, is just probably not ever going to occur.
1: Now, having heard from an expert that it is on some level feasible, I can't help but imagine, uh, what if you had a planet where... This type of weather, where strong enough uh, uh, winds and and, uh, and and vortices were possible, mm-hmm. what if you had a breed of shark-like creature that depended on this? Like, it was for this creature, this was like the salmon swimming upstream to breed. To breed, they have to enter one of these water spouts and get thrown out on land, and then they have to eat tararete in order to reproduce.
0: Well, first of all, you're saying there's a planet peopled with just tararetes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Maybe they're clones. I don't know how it works. There's, j- But everyone, all the all the beings on the land are terror reed.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's planet Terra reed.
1: Yeah, and planet shark. It's sharks and terror reed living in perfect harmony with one another.
0: And is this kind of like, well, I know this would be, asking ask if it was like an Ordovician era, but it would have to be you know, much farther in the future than that. Yeah. Because you have land-dwelling terra reeds occurring. Exactly. I guess it would be possible. I don't know. I hate to say that. You'd ha- I'd, I'd have to be a meteorologist to really answer that, and uh, a cosmologist.
1: Well, there you have it. We've broken it down. You have, on one side, the fire tornado, which actually exists, is rare, but exists, and has been documented and seen throughout human history, and may or may not be a god. And then, on the other hand, you have the sharknado, which uh, does not exist, and will probably never exist on this planet, but is on some level possible. So, which would win in a fight? What's your take? Sharknado versus fire tornado?
0: Yes, and do you think that Tara Reid is, is the, the Great Destroyer, or is she just fodder for the Great Destroyers on planet Tara Reid? Let us know. All
1: right. Well, you're complicating the question. But, <laughs> All right. And then here's another possibility. What if the two storms merged, and then you had to deal with a fire tornado filled with flaming sharks. Well,
0: wouldn't they just cancel each other out?
1: No, no. I think they would. it would upgrade. It would be like sharks on fire, soaring through the air like, uh, like, oh. like, like, like meteorites.
0: Oh, particularly if that water had a generous amount of oil slick on it, right?
1: Oh, wow. Because then it would be sort of like fire breathing. It would be like a napalm shark tornado. Yeah. <sighs> it's pretty big.
0: I think that's going to be the sequel. Yeah.
1: All right, well, here you go. Uh, indeed, let us know what you think about this. Uh, the idea of Tara Reed as a destroyer of worlds. The idea of the fire tornado, the reality of the fire tornado. Have you ever seen one? We'd love to hear about that. Uh, Were you at 2012 Burning Man? And you got to see these things spiral out and, uh, and, and mostly smoke, but still very impressive. Uh, and then your thoughts on Sharknado. Have you seen Sharknado in its entirety? If so, what was that like? And then how feasible do you think it is? And then what would you do if a Sharknado were to hit your town? Uh, all of these uh, questions are fair game. You can let us know in all the normal ways. Um, you can find us, as always, at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find our blogs. You'll find our latest podcast episodes. In fact, you'll find all of our podcast episodes. If you're only listening to us on iTunes or some other form, and you think you've listened to all the episodes, well, the full catalog is on, on the website, uh, as well as our videos, and uh, anything else that we might do is going to show up there.
0: There's fancy pictures on there too.
1: Yes, lots yeah. of images. And uh, of course on social media, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Tumblr.
0: And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind@discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Yeah.